0: I can't believe this crowd has this much energy this late in the week after a full Davos. So congratulations. Yeah. I want to thank all of you for coming to the best dinner in Davos. This is an object. This has been proven by AI. Best dinner, best people, best conversation. So I'm really glad that you've given us some of your time. Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are exploring the changing rules of business leadership and how CEOs are navigating this change. Welcome to Leadership Next,
1: the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership.
0: I'm Alan Murray.
1: And I'm Michal Evraq.
0: Welcome to the fifth season of Leadership Next. Mahal, I can't believe we've been doing this for four years and have a fifth to go.
1: We're so old. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's pretty awesome.
0: We've had a lot of uh, CEOs from a lot of the best known companies in the world on over the course of those four years. But one thing we have never had until this episode is the CEO of Amazon. The number two company on the Fortune 500 list, buying for one of the most valuable companies in the world, Jeff Bezos eluded us, but recently, Andy Jassy joined Fortune at our annual CEO dinner in Davos.
1: Speaking of Bezos, by the way, I think he only talks space these days. So unless we do an an episode devoted to that, uh, we're not getting him, but- I'm in. (laughs) It would be cool. It would be cool. (laughs) In your view, what was different about Bezos as a leader and and Jassy, and obviously it's a different era now for, for Amazon.
0: What I've been told and what I've observed is Bezos is famous for his customer obsession. Everything was about the customer. You read the letter that he wrote every year. It's customer, customer, customer. And I think he reached the point where employees started to feel like they were chopped liver. Say, hey, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, the customer's important, but what about us? And I do think Jassy is, has changed the approach a little bit, is perceived as a little more employee friendly, a little more focused on a variety of stakeholders and not relentlessly focused on technology and customers at the cost of everything else. But what was interesting in the interview, I, I made several attempts to get him to compare himself to his predecessor. He absolutely refused to take the bait. He was not going to play that game no matter how hard I tried.
1: Tell, tell us about Davos. How was it this year? What was different? What stood out? You
0: know, it's such a strange experience because you get this incredible concentration of CEOs and other prominent people. Either the president of Poland was there, President Zelensky from Ukraine was there, the secretary of state from the US, the premier from China, all in this tiny little ski town in Switzerland. And, you know, you run into them walking across the street etc we for 9 years have gathered together the CEOs who were in town for a dinner on the Thursday night of the event andy jassy has attended a couple of times in the in the past he agreed to come and be the opening interview and then we had table discussions with all the CEOs where they talked about the same thing that andy did which was what are the big opportunities and the big risks that lie ahead in 2024? And what you're going to hear is that number one on that list, and probably number two, number three, and number four on that list is AI.
1: Okay. Well, I know he also brought up beef tornadoes. Can you <laughs> can you explain what that is?
0: The, there was a menu on the seats in front of us, and he saw beef tornadoes and, and was trying to figure out what that meant, thought it must be... Uh, beef twisted like a tornado. Uh, here, I'm I'm Googling it right now. Uh, it's just pan-seared beef.
1: Okay, I thought it dressed, was like- Dressed in a red
0: wine mushroom sauce. <laughs> well, this, you not, have
1: to, all right. I don't know. So your challenge now is to work this into some kind of metaphor for the economy. Uh, <laughs> the economy is in a beef tornado You know, it's interesting um, Amazon, obviously, I mean, we think of it as the everything store It's the everything company, right? It is just mind-boggling how much we interact with Amazon and its various brands
0: He talked about that He talked about different tentacles He talked about what they're doing in medicine You know, they bought a company called One Medical I think any company that wants to try and transform medicine in the United States uh, deserves our support
1: Good, good luck to him.
0: It's a massive company that touches our lives in so many ways, which was why this interview was so much fun. I'm really, really sorry you weren't there, Mahal. But let's dive in. I remind everyone that this is in a tight room in a tiny little ski village in the Swiss Alps with about 80 CEOs of big global companies. So it's a it's a different context than our normal leadership next. <laughs> Andy Jassy, why don't you come up here and, and join me. I think needs no introduction. You guys have heard of Amazon. Uh, one and a half million people, one and a half trillion dollars in market cap. But I learned something really interesting tonight for the first time. time—that You almost came to work for Fortune. Can you want to you wanna share that story?
2: <laughs> well, I, I had, uh, first of all, it's great to be here with all of you. I was telling Alan that I, I thought you were going to talk about the beef tornadoes. I was hoping we we'll would get to like that. Tor- <laughs> what are tornadoes? Um, I know I almost uh, in, in between my first job and going to graduate school, uh, when I was applying, I had this recruiter call me about fortune magazine and I had a, a lot of friends I'd worked with before who were there. I had a lot of respect for time. Inc. I got the offer and I almost did the job instead of going to business school. And then I decided to go to graduate.
0: So school. it's like, Fortune, Amazon, fortune, Amazon.
2: It was business school.
0: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You made a good decision. Just
2: luck, total luck.
0: You got it right. I I, want to start by asking you the question that everybody in this room is going to be asked to address tonight, because this is where we really get value out of this dinner. Look at the year ahead. What do you see as the single biggest opportunity facing business and the single biggest risk facing business?
2: Well, of course, everything we think we know today may be different three months from now. So take this with a grain of salt. I would say that uh, to me, I think the opportunity and risk is pretty similar in that there is this wildly transformative, disruptive technology in generative AI that you can't get through any conversation without talking about. And I think people, as they, you know, people were on this march pre-pandemic, to modernize their technology. You know, it's it's part of, you know, I I used to manage this AWS business, our cloud computing business, and people were on this march to modernize their technology to be able to have a lower cost structure and, and have better developer productivity and to innovate at a faster clip. And then the pandemic happened, and then we had this economy where everyone, you know, most enterprises tried to figure out how they could save money in any way they could, ours included. And as, you know, a lot of the, low-hanging fruit and cost optimization has attenuated over the last, you know, several months, and we're back to starting to invest. I just see companies really battling with the prioritization between are they better off continuing with that modernization of their technology platform, or should they spend all their new engineering resources on generative AI? And in my opinion, you have to think, I mean, again, it's prioritization, everyone will decide differently. I think you have to think about it in a balanced way, because to me, if you don't set, basically if you don't have your, your technology infrastructure foundation right, you are gonna have a hard time being successful with generative AI. And, uh, and, and actually it's such a sure win to be able to modernize your technology and move to the cloud that to me, it has a very predictable payback. And yet at the same time, I think you would be foolish not to figure out how to use generative AI successfully. I think everyone is trying to figure out how to be successful a cost-effective and high ROI way. And so I think that to me the a lot of companies will end up deciding to take the sure successful win of modernizing their technology platform and setting their foundation right. And then picking at least one or two generative AI uh, initiatives where they can learn how to run it, they can learn how to be successful. They can figure out what you got to do to get the right ROI and the right customer experience for a business. But it's got to be a balance, in my opinion.
0: Do you think uh, Davos has overdone the AI thing a bit?
2: I, I mean, I don't think Davos is unique to that. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think it is so exciting. It's really it has the chance to transform virtually every customer experience. I mean, we're building. 60ish applications right now. Well, well, Amazon. that's yeah.
0: Yeah, let me ask you about that because yes, every conversation for the last four days has been about AI and particularly generative AI. But when you talk to people about it, they generally talk about OpenAI and Microsoft. Maybe they talk about Google. Maybe they bring in Meta, but they don't talk about Amazon. I mean, do you feel like you've like missed or been behind the parade a little bit on this, or what? Why are we not? Hearing Amazon in the in the same sentence.
2: I don't know who you're talking to, Al. <laughs> <laughs> not not our customers. But, uh, you know, I I think that you know most of the conversation, in my opinion, on generative AI so far has really been at the application layer. So things like Chat GPT, which is, by the way, a really remarkable application. But the way that we think about AI is it has three layers of the stack, and all three are massive. And we're investing very heavily in all three. But you know, at the bottom layer, if you're gonna build your own large language models, you're gonna to have to train the models. And the key to training is is compute, and the key to the compute is the chip in the compute. And to date, there's really been one GPU chip provider. And many of you probably know it's hard to get capacity right now. And people are wondering, you know, what the cost structure is really gonna be like. And so, you know, about five years ago, we invested in building our own custom AI chips. And we have a chip that we've built for training called Tranium and one that we built for inference called Inferentia. And we're on the second version of those chips and they're gonna be meaningfully more price performant than what you see elsewhere. And so, you know, when you get into, I think customers who build models are starting to figure out that the cost equation is maybe a little bit different than they thought. And then the dirty little secret, if you have uh, generative AI apps in production at scale, like we do in a bunch of areas like Alexa, is that almost all the cost ends up being in the inference. You know, you train, take Alexa, you train periodically, but we have billions of predictions or inferences coming, you know, every day. And so people are gonna really care about that price performance. So that bottom layer is an area I think people are gonna care about. And then at that middle layer, it's really for companies that don't wanna build their own large language models. They wanna use somebody else's and customize it with their own data. And you know, we built a service called Bedrock there that does just that. It basically takes our own large language models and then Anthropics and um, Metas with Llama 2 and Cohere and Stability AI. And you know, it takes whatever large language models you think you wanna use, you can customize it with your own data not leak it back into the general model and they have the same security and access control and features that you run in the platform and that also like what you're learning when you actually when you talk to companies or if you have your own experience building generative ai apps you realize that it's not going to be one model to rule the world it's going to be lots of different models that are better at different things and then you know to try to get the the quality that you need for your customers and your reputation at the cost structure and the latency you need for the customer experience, it's actually not simple. And so, one of the attractive parts of something like Bedrock is you can move between models and between sizes of models to experiment and find the right experience. And you know, and then there's that top layer, which are the applications. And you know, there's there's ChatGPT. I think another really compelling application in the early days is a coding companion. And you know, we we launched this thing called months ago called Q that. It, it writes code for you, it debugs the code, it tests the code, it does transformations from old versions of Java to the new versions, and it looks at your data repositories and lets you answer questions. So all three layers of those stacks, of that stack is important, and we're making big investments in all those areas. And I, I think it's still quite early days.
0: But You, you yeah. feel comfortable with where you are. I, I,
2: look, it is so early. This yeah. is like three steps into a marathon, but our customers really like oh, what we're building
0: well, from. Well, let, let me ask you, in my house, in many of our houses, uh, the first time we started talking to the furniture was Alexa, as you mentioned. So how does Alexa fit in to this process?
2: Yeah, well, you know, Alexa, like a number of different areas inside our company is is one of the many businesses that is building a a significant large language model. And, you know, Alexa has, um, you know, you've used Alexa for lots of different things, but we're building a much more expansive large language model that is aimed to fulfill our broader vision, which has always been the vision for Alexa, which is to be, you know, the world's best personal assistant.
0: I'm here with Jason Gerzatis, the CEO of Deloitte US, the sponsor of this podcast. Thanks for sponsoring
3: and thanks for joining me, Jason. It's a pleasure to be with you, Alan, and our privilege to sponsor this important podcast. Well, it's great to
0: have you. This whole notion of generative AI is really exploded onto the scene and into our consciousness in the last year. It's the fastest introduction of a new technology in history. How do business leaders deal with that and how do they separate the hype from the opportunity?
3: That's a great question, Alan. The hype is real, but we also think the opportunity is more uh, real and, in fact, an imperative for all businesses. The opportunity right now for businesses is around taking advantage of Generative AI and other digital technologies for efficiency and productivity gains with the belief they will continue to evolve and mature such that there's other opportunities for value creation and net new disruptions and innovations that we haven't even seen the possibilities of. The challenge is to balance this opportunity. As a result, businesses have to diversify their approaches. It's a CEO-level priority, an understanding of where and how these models are being put to use in your business operations, what are the controls put around data and data quality, as well as ensuring that the models are tested and actually validated like you would do any other customer-facing or highly sensitive system in an enterprise environment.
0: Jason, thanks for your perspective, and thanks for sponsoring Leadership Next. Thank you. So I want to talk to you. You've been in this job for two years now, right? Two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. So you've learned a lot. You've experienced it a lot. How would you say your leadership style is different than your predecessor? You can do this, Andy. Come on.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, the, you know, the, that's a trick question. But, but the, um, you know, the, uh, look, I grew up at Amazon. You know, I've been at Amazon for 26 and a half years, and I've done so many different jobs there. And I've been lucky enough to work closely with Jeff. I worked directly for Jeff for... 20 years, so I, you know, I, I feel like I learned from somebody who's arguably the most unusual business leader of our era. So, um, you know, I'm lucky that way. But I, I, I do think that every era of business leadership, and I think everybody knows this in this room, is different. You know, when I started the job, uh, nobody really you know, predicted that the pandemic would last that long, and Omicron would come, and the war, you know, in Ukraine would come, and the inflation, I mean, you know, there's there's lots of things that happen throughout and you have to just keep adjusting and that's what we've tried to do as a team.
0: But when you, now you have two and a half years to look back, how is it different? Granted, anybody in the job would have changed, but how do you think the leadership at Amazon is different than it?
2: Well, I don't, you know, we have a very, um, yeah we have a set of leadership principles, there's 16 leadership principles that we, you know, carefully have crafted and, and recrafted over the years. I think the leadership principles are, are quite consistent. I think the leaders are, are, are very consistent culturally. It's just we have different, we have some different folks leading the businesses at this point.
0: Yeah. I, I could keep trying, but you probably don't want me to.
2: You got to decide how long you want to go on
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's see. Where can we go from there? Uh, um, one, one of the things that has come up in a number of conversations over the course of the last week is with everyone imagining these m- incredible options for using AI, there is a question about where does the compute power and where does the electricity come from to run all these massive applications? Uh, Amazon has been early and strong on sustainability, but how does this explosion in interest in uh, complicated, massive compute power make you think about sustainability?
2: Well, you know, i think we all i've been in the fortune dinner I think this is maybe my third or fourth year and we always talk about how important the environment is and how critical it is and like a lot of you know we have this thing called the climate pledge where we've you know pledged to be uh carbon zero by 2040 and for a company like ours it's different than most technology companies we're already well over 90 percent renewable energy now we'll be 100 percent in 2025 but to get all the way there when you have to ship as many products as we do with as many trucks and, you know, the packaging and all the buildings, it's, it's quite difficult. And I, I think it's interesting what's happened with power. I, I think that a lot of the municipalities around the world underestimated how much power was required. In fact, several of them told us they just took our estimates and cut them by a third. They just didn't believe them. And that was during the pandemic. And that was before... You know, generative AI came about, and generative you know generative AI and these large language models are so power hungry that it's been an explosion in demand, and there is not enough energy right now. And so, we're going to have the dual challenge as a group to find a lot more energy to satisfy what people want to do and what we can get done for society with generative AI. But we've got to do it in a renewable way, in in, in, a, in a carbon neutral or a zero way. It can't be going back to coal.
0: So. That, that will require a lot of development. We'll have to be part of that. So what's the next big thing to come from Amazon? I mean, is it health? You made this investment in One Medical. What's the what's the thing that excites you that could be a, a fourth pillar for Amazon?
2: Well, there, there are so many things that I'm excited about. This is a hard, this is not a soup question. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I'm very bullish on what we're doing with Prime Video. Uh, you know, I think the the combination of the customer experience, the content we build ourselves, um, you know, the the sports that we have, and then all of our third-party media partners who are part of our channels program, we're trying to build the place that is the best selection of streaming video. And I think that customers, you know, the, the growth that we've had there, the growth in engagement, the growth in customers, we have a marketplace there, I'm very bullish about that business and how it's progressing. I also think you know there's still 400 to 500 million households around the world that don't have broadband connectivity and so they can't do the things we take for granted they can't they can't do education online they can't do their jobs online they can't watch entertainment they can't buy and so we're pursuing this Glow Earth Orbit satellite that we call Kuiper that we think will have a real meaningful impact on a lot of people around the world, particularly in rural areas that I also think will be... It's a big capital investment, but I think it will help a lot of people and it will be a good business as well. When
0: will you start to roll that out?
2: We'll start to roll it out this year. You know, We did um, our first two big end-to-end um, test satellites in October that really performed very well. So. There's a lot of demand for that. Um, there's demand on the government and the enterprise side and, and consumers are excited yeah. about it too.
0: Healthcare, there are a lot of people curious about yeah. where you're going in healthcare.
2: You know, I, I feel like when, when my parents tell me that they didn't have color TV, you know, I just kind of roll my eyes. Do like, you Like my kids, you know, roll their eyes when... Uh, I said we didn't have the internet when I was growing up or or mobile phones. But I think that my kids' kids will not believe what the healthcare experience was for us. Like the fact that if you wanna go see a doctor, you gotta make an appointment three or four weeks out, you gotta drive 20 minutes and park, you have to, you know, wait in the waiting room for 15 minutes, then they put you in a doc in an exam room. You can wait 10 minutes for the doctor. Doctor sees you for 10 minutes, and you drive 20 minutes to the pharmacy. I mean, that that experience is just kind of nutty. And, and that that will completely go away with the way the future of, of healthcare is. And so one medical is a different way of doing primary care. It has an amazing digital interface. You can chat with doctors, you can do video conferences. You you can make appointments same day or next day. You can get into specialists same day or next day. All the reservations are are integrated. And then if you, whatever pharmaceutical needs you have, they're connected to Amazon Pharmacy and to a bunch of others that you just get sent to your house within a day. So it's a very different experience. And, you know, pharmacy for us was not a big extension. We've been asked by customers for so long to do that. And that business has grown really quickly and I think will be big as well. But we're really trying to get at changing the the core healthcare experience starting in the U.S., which I think has not been a happy place for a lot of people.
0: We're just about out of time here, but you've got this massive antitrust case against you from the FTC. I mean, anything to that? (laughs) I'm trying to make it easy for you. (laughs)
2: Well, what I would say to that is uh, I I am aware of it. and um,
0: here, Here, I'll ask you another question. Have you watched the video of Bill Gates being deposed in the 1990s in his antitrust case? No, I haven't. You haven't? You should. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would strongly I, recommend. It. I just say, uh, you know, I
2: think <laughs> all I can say about that is I think that I think they're wrong on the on the facts and the law. And yeah. I think that will be borne out over time. And I right. think, in general, we we have to be careful in in Western countries not to kill innovation and not, you know, there's. There's a lot of consolidation in various industries. And if if we only, you know, have strong regulations in in, the, in Western countries, you'll leave the playing field open in other spots. You don't mean to.
0: Is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have? Not that I'm aware of. Good. If I knew what tornado beef tornadoes You're was. gonna find yeah. out in just a minute. Go ahead, take your seat. Thank, Thank you all. for doing this. It was great talking to you. <laughs> Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala.
1: Our executive producer is Chris
0: Joslin. Our theme is by Jason Snell.
1: Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media.